Father, we know that you are the grantor of requests, the one who answers our prayers. And there's so much that we can be in prayer for, whether it's for the next generation coming up and the perils that await them. So many of our kids are dying from the fentanyl crisis, the drugs that are out there, the waywardness, the recklessness that we see in society. And we know that you are the one who is stable. And we have this word from you to keep us stable and help us to be like the pillar in the ocean that stands firm when the waves crash. We also ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and bring to us understanding, for without that we are lost. And so, Father, as we look at the first beginnings of the church, we ask that you would help us to walk away with those things which are good, which are holy, which are upright. And discard all of those problems that we bring up in the flesh. Throughout all history, Lord, we've done this. And we know we'll be on the straight and narrow as long as we trust in you. Help us to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I left off last week in verse 21 of chapter 2. And I was dealing with the three views of the baptism of the Spirit. The first view was... To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is equal to water baptism. And I told you, as an example, in the Church of Christ, they do this. They believe that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the time you enter the water and you come back out. Another view is it is concomitant or equal with salvation. When you get saved, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we are baptized into Christ as well as it speaks in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. And then there's the third view that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second event. Now the second event is practiced by those in the Catholic Church because you have baptism and you have confirmation and that confirmation in the Catholic Church you receive the Holy Spirit. It is also the view of the Pentecostal churches, the Assembly of God churches, that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit secondly after you have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that there is scriptural evidence for that, and I'll be giving you that, where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event, not to be confused with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is different. Now, again, I want to review what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is simply receiving power or dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. That's the word in the Greek. And if you were to look back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are told, but you will receive power, and the word there is what we use for dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses, or martyrs is the word that is used, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this word martyr could be literal, you're going to die for the faith, or it could be that you're just being a witness, you're testifying about Jesus Christ. And by receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were able to effectively be those witnesses. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is enabling all of us to be witnesses for Christ. Now, there's an indication of how the Holy Spirit works and how he has worked previous to our life of salvation. 
There are prepositions in the Greek. They are para or with. There is n e n or which we believe is in, like i n. And then there's a pon or epi. Now the Holy Spirit does all of these things before you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you, comes alongside me, and He prompts us, like look into God, see if God is real. And I believe He does this to every single person. And every single person makes a choice at some time. Are they going to find out who God is? Or are they going to say, no, I'm not even interested. I don't know. I don't want to know about God at all. But he is the one who is the helper. He is the advocate, the one that comes alongside. And he's an advocate on our behalf to Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ to the individual. And that's, he is called the paraclete, one who comes alongside. And he does that for us as well, still comes alongside. But we have him dwelling inside of us. Once you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, he places his Holy Spirit within us. And so he's one that comes along as an advocate or a counselor for us. He's the one that teaches us all truth. When we're reading the scriptures, it's the Holy Spirit that enlightens us. It's the one who brings us, he is the one who brings us understanding. And as I went through the past couple of weeks, he is a person. He is not a force. We can be relational with him and he will always point to Jesus and Jesus always points to the father and the father gives all authority to the son and the father sends the Holy Spirit. All of these things are talked about in scripture. So that's the the para, the Greek uh, preposition of coming alongside. And then there's the N or the E-N, the preposition in the Greek, which means he places his Holy Spirit in us inside and that's how the Holy Spirit works so he comes alongside and he also comes in us and then there's this epi where he comes on a believer now this is equivalent to the baptism of the spirit in the Old Testament remember Samson the Holy Spirit came upon him and he had tremendous strength and I've told you before I don't think he was a man over six foot tall I think he was probably five foot six or five foot seven little bitty guy he probably wasn't ripped with muscles everywhere I I think it's better if uh, God had him real skinny and scrawny and he had all of the strength that was out there I think that would just be typical of God to do something like that because in our weakness he is made strong you could see that happening but he had long hair long flowing hair that was there and you know the story but when the Lord came upon him he acted in strength and then King David when the Lord came upon David he danced before the Lord he was happy you know the Ark of the Covenant was there and he was setting up everything for the Lord and not the tabernacle but for his son Solomon to build the temple that was there and he was just doing the Lord's will and he was a man after God's own heart and the Lord was upon him now we look at ourselves today David was also a man of strength he was a warrior And I can't imagine being a warrior like that today where you just use swords and how many people do you have to strike down with that sword before the battle is done and if you have thousands and thousands of men going with you and you're engaged in the battle, you don't give up or you die. And you just have to keep on going forward. And the Lord was not only on him, but I believe the Lord was on the armies of Israel as well, giving them strength to perform what they needed to. 
So with this, the Holy Spirit, just as a side note, gives us gifts. Remember, I gave you the gifts last week. I mentioned Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. Each one of us have a gift. And that gift is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, that gift is made manifest when we have the opportunity and the Lord fills us with his spirit. Now that filling is like a a glass of water. You fill up the glass of water. Well, you drink a little and the glass of water goes down. There are times where we are filled with the spirit and times not so much when we're filled with the spirit. We are still flesh and blood and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Give you a personal example of this last week. In, In my line of work, I do several things and I'm putting in this, uh, it's called class two base and putting some block on top of it and going to put some grass on that. And so people can drive over it and it won't be a problem. Well, I had it out there and I I put the class two base. It wasn't uh, solidified. It wasn't compacted yet. I had the brick on top so I could line up the heads because there's holes in the brick where they can drive on. I had it all lined out. Oh, it's so smooth. It looks so straight. Oh, it's just beautiful. I went away and during the night or the next day that I wasn't there, a guy decided to get a monster forklift and drive over it. And it broke the block. And I looked, oh, man, not quite ready for that. And in my heart, I was not filled with the Spirit. I, I was thinking to myself, oh, come. And I had laid things out on the block so nobody would drive over it yet. And yet he moved those things and he drove over it with these huge, massive I-beam steel girders. And it just destroyed the block. And so I got in there and I started fixing it and I was pulling away the block and I decided to turn on the irrigation, make sure it still worked. And he broke a two inch pipe underneath there. I had to exit. I was not filled with the spirit. You know, I was just going, this is not good. You know, you know how you can get like that. And then I go to the boss and I tell him, you have a busted pipe now too. What do you think the boss's reaction was? Now, he's not a believer. He was going, well, he just didn't know what he was doing. I'm going, you're not. He was more filled with the Spirit, not being filled with the Spirit, than I was, you know. And I'm going, oh, man. I told Patty all about it. Sometimes those people who don't believe are more, quote, unquote, filled with the Spirit, you know, kindness and generosity and all of that. And I think, wow, I just learned a lesson. I got spanked a little bit, you know, I thought, okay, I, I should do what is right. And that's what being filled with the spirit is. And, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Now, is the baptism of the spirit the same as speaking in tongues? Should all who receive the baptism of the spirit speak in tongues? The answer is no, that doesn't happen to everybody. There's a rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. This is a rhetorical question. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. Not everybody does those things. And so if somebody receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean they're going to go speak in tongues or that they're going to be slain in the Spirit or the Holy Spirit is going to take over the person so much that they're out of control. 
so to speak. Next question, are we ever commanded to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Where God says, you must ask. And no, he doesn't command that we are supposed to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is it available to us? Yes, it is. Are we encouraged to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Now, there's a critical verse here in Luke chapter 11, verses, I should say, 9 through 13. It says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now pay attention here who is speaking and what he's speaking about and to. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give you a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Or you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is somebody who is already in the family of God. They are already indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Those people who are not saved do not have God, Yahweh, as their God and Father. Satan is their father. So these people are in the family of God. And he says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is already indwelling us. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells. Afterwards, we can ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. Well, what's he saying we should ask for there? He's asking for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Or he's using the rhetorical question, the rhetorical technique to let us know that as believers in the family of God, we can ask for the anointing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, is the gift of the Holy Spirit the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, it can be. These things can happen at the same time. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this can be the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be theirs. It could also be taken to mean that they will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verse 19, he said, uh, give me this also, or give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you, but you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. So he was witnessing the baptism of the Holy Spirit on individuals and he said he wanted that power to give that to people as well and he was willing to pay for it and of course Peter said no way no how is this going to happen and also in Acts chapter 10 verse 45 the circumcised believers in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 deal with the house of Cornelius who was a God fearer he feared God the God of the Jews and Peter was sent to him to give him the gospel so that's the context of what is going on here and it says in verse 45 the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles so not only was this a gift for those who were Jews the 
ones who were in the upper room, the 120 disciples that were there. But it's also available for those outside of the Hebrew race, the sons of promise. And Acts chapter 11, verse 17, it repeats this. He says, so if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? So we have at least these examples here of the gift or the baptism of the Holy Spirit being given and being evidenced by speaking in tongues. Now, is filling of the Holy Spirit the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I looked up every verse that deals with the filling of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not many of them. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six verses that use that particular language. And all of them, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we know that they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But remember, the word that is used here in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, is filled. It's not baptized, it's filled. And they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and elders of the people. In other words, he was just teaching at this particular point. He was giving him a word. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not the baptism of the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We also know that they spoke in tongues, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see me again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this filling. I believe it is distinct from the baptism of the Spirit. And then Acts chapter 13, verse 9, Saul said, Excuse me. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and the enemy of everything that is right. And so he brought judgment after being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's several things that the filling of the Holy Spirit can bring. The baptism is for empowering. The filling is for all of these other things. Also, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is something that happens over and over and over. The baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event. It's something that you can ask for. It's not commanded. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit enables a believer to operate properly in the spiritual gifts, When the spiritual gifts are in operation, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are times where I've heard the gifts of the Spirit in operation, whether prophecy or tongues or uh, the interpretation of tongues, and you could just tell this is not something the Holy Spirit would do or say. Unfortunately, we're still in the flesh, and you have to discern. Even at a pastor's conference, this took place. And afterwards, one of the pastors got up who was speaking. He said, now you need to discern whether or not that was from the Lord or whether it was from human, because we have a problem trying to discern the will of the Lord. And is it the Lord speaking or is it us speaking? And it's the body who is to judge those types of things. Also, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Enables a believer to speak God's will to your hearers, both blessing and judgment. If he has something he wants you to say to someone, 
He can fill you with his spirit to give you wisdom and the proper words to say at the proper time. And it will either bring blessing and healing or direction, instruction, or it will be judging and it will be um, a rebuke of some type or an admonishment. But it's all the Lord doing it through the power of his spirit. And then as we read in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18... Being filled with the Spirit enables us to separate from the world in our speech, in our singing, in our thankfulness, in our submission. All of that is in Ephesians. He says, do not be drunk on wine. And then he gives a list of all these things we should be doing right after that. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. He enables us to do his will. So how is the baptism of the Holy Spirit received? There's a couple of examples in scripture by the laying on of hands. First Timothy chapter four, verse 14 says, do not neglect. Paul is talking to Timothy. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message. When the body of elders laid their hand on you or hands on you. So they laid their hands on Timothy. They prophesied over him. He received the baptism of the Holy spirit. He was filled with the spirit. There's prophecy going on. You could tell what was happening. And then 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. So there's a gift, I believe it's the gift of teaching for Timothy, and he's supposed to practice using it to fan it into flame. So, and he reminds him of the laying on of hands. And then also just by hearing the word of God, you can get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just by hearing it, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on the individual and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. This was the case with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. You can read about the whole thing, how they started speaking in tongues, just hearing the word. Now, the speaking in tongues is a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit, but there was the baptism that took place at the same time. That's where they recognized the same gift was given to the Gentiles, just like it was in Acts chapter 1 and 2 that it talks about. Now, Cornelius spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 10. Paul in Ephesus, they had the disciples of John. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. They did two things there. Simon the sorcerer, uh, when those in Samaria received the Holy Spirit, there was not a recorded mention of any manifestation of tongues or prophecy at all. Was there something that took place? Well, there could be. And I think the biggest concern that people have over the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they're just going to get weird. They're going to get weirded out and they don't want to get weirded out. And it, it really is, would be embarrassing to them. They don't want to do that. And, and there are churches that just, they go wild. Yeah, I just, I looked it back up, uh, even this morning. Looked at some of these videos of the churches that uh, they say it's the baptism of the spirit. You got to receive the baptism of the spirit. And I kid you not, it's just mayhem. Where they're, they're jumping up and down. They're crawling on all fours in front of the church. And people are dancing in place and running back and forth. And it's just mayhem. And this shaking thing that's going on, I'm going... Where does it say we're supposed to do that in Scripture? That's more of the occult than it is Christ. And so I believe that there are brothers and sisters in the assemblies of God. 
I believe if it's a oneness Pentecostal church, they're not saved because they only believe that there's just Jesus. That's it. And Jesus appears as a father or there's just the father and he appears as Jesus or he appears as the Holy Spirit. The oneness Pentecostals are a cult. They are, they do not believe in the Trinity, but those particular charismatic churches. Now we are, at least I hold to, I teach the charismatic gifts. I believe in the gifts, but I'm not a charismaniac. And Chuck Smith wrote a book about that. Charismatic versus charismania. And he came to a revelation. He was in a four square church and a four square church is a charismatic church. And as he was growing up, he would hear, he names this one particular woman in this church that she would just go on and on and on with tongues and the interpretation would come out as a single sentence or less than a sentence. And he's going, something's just not right here or vice versa. The tongues would be real short and brief and the interpretation would be verbose. It would be paragraph after paragraph. And all that was said in that one little section there. And so he started questioning in it and he saw that the gifts were not being used properly. Now, what church do you remember from the New Testament did this same thing? The Corinthian church. They were just blowing it. The Corinthian church, I think they're a great example for us how not to act in the church. Remember, they were blowing it with the gifts. There were divisions in the church. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Christ and he's over everyone. And you little peons, you don't even know what you're talking about. And then they were taking each other to court and they were divorcing each other. I mean, just problems all over the place in that church. And they were misusing the gifts. And Paul calls them to account. He says, this is how the gifts are to be used inside the church. And so when the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place. Remember, and you need to get this just solidified in your mind. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes because Christ, and you've requested it, you want to be a witness for Jesus. That's it. Parentheses. Nothing else in there. You become a witness. Everything else that manifests from that would be filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is that you might be a martyr, that you would be able to die to yourself, metaphorically speaking, or you'd be able to die for Christ, literally speaking, all of those things. That's what the baptism of the Spirit is. And all the apostles, with the exception of John, was martyred for their faith. Now, throughout history, there have been, I would say, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Christians that have been killed for their faith. It's happening now around the world. Just go to the 1040 window. There are people who are being killed who are Christians, pastors. Um, There is a ministry, far-reaching ministries, and they train up pastors in South Sudan. When they go to their villages, they want to let them know, you could die. If you go to your village, you could die in Sudan. And that's how they train them, and they're ready for it. They're chaplains, and they're sometimes army chaplains that are in there. So we get the chance to be a witness. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, that's another thing. And that's the gifts being in operation. We see both in the book of Acts. First, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire came and rested upon their heads. And then they would prophesy or they would speak in tongues because it says right in the text, they were filled with the Spirit. 
The baptism enables you to be a witness. The filling, that's the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. So I want to read that to you. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which in this case is the baptism of the Spirit, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to, at this time, going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, that's the baptism, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses or martyrs in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, also referred to as the gift of the Holy Spirit in this context. Over in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled, see that word, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you have both things there. You have the baptism and you have the filling. The filling is how they're enabled to speak in other tongues. Now, with this, when a Holy Spirit fills an individual, the greatest of all manifestations is, and can you guess? It's love. When you have the baptism, you have love. Now, the filling, I believe, also brings love, but it's more something operational of the gifts and also being able to speak properly to people, the words that the Lord wants you to speak. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are willing to agape the world. You will die for the world. You will be a witness for Christ in your death. You see how this works? So that's what's the greatest of these? Faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest. When you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you love the people that are unlovable. You look at them with Christ in view. You can go witness to them even though they don't deserve it, even though they're the worst of sinners, even though they're the murderers and the thieves and the adulterers. You will witness to them and you will not pass judgment because God is the God of judgment. He's going to judge everything. It's our job to be a witness. If we weren't given that love, we had only witnessed to those who we like. We would go to our family members and our friends. We'd tell them, but we don't want to go to these people over here. You know, they're just kind of lost. No, you can be a witness to everyone. Again, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To be a witness, to be a martyr, that's what it is. It is nothing more than that. The filling of the Spirit is the operation of the gifts and being able to live for Christ. It's like the word sanctification. The word sanctification, sank, means holy holification. You could look at it that way. We are to be sanctified. First, Christ takes us, God takes us, and he sanctifies us. He makes us holy. 
then also it's something that we walk through. We walk along in holiness. And sometimes we are good at being holy and sometimes not so good when somebody crushes your block and you're not so good. And you have to ask the Lord, well, you know, sorry, Lord, this guy's doing better than I am. I need to be more like you. And so that's the feeling. It comes and goes. But the love that you have, that is the biggest manifestation of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And then also there might be a manifestation of the gifts or imparted gifts with the filling of the Spirit that comes along. Now, at this point, I need to talk about this, the slain in the Spirit. This is what people fear. Do I believe in being slain in the Spirit? Absolutely not. I I think... Have you guys ever... Well, let me ask you this question. Do you know who Dr. Michael Dean is? (laughs) Oh, you're kind of moaning. Yeah. I went and saw Dr. Michael Dean when I was in high school. And I saw what he did. He's a hypnotist. Okay. And I saw him. It was on the stage of Marion High School in Imperial Beach. And And there were a thousand kids in there and high school age, you know, some adults too. And they all volunteered. Most of them, you know, there's probably 10 of them up on stage and he just went by and I I was watching how he was doing this. And the person I was with, they almost went under. I could feel it going and stopped, you know, but he got on stage and he just leaned down to them and boom, they were out. He was so good at it. And I believe hypnosis is a real thing. You can get this altered state of consciousness. I think there's someone like Buzz who knows about it. Have him testify to that. But this idea that you can be hypnotized, and he had him do crazy things, you know. And again, you have to talk to Buzz about his crazy things. But you, you can be hypnotized. Now, if I wanted to, I could read up on hypnotism, and I could, by suggestion put some of you, maybe not all of you, I could put some of you under. And I actually know somebody who did this at my high school. He, if you've been with me long enough, you heard me talk about him. Uh, his name was Mark Fiacco. And he read a book on hypnotism. And he would show up at lunchtime and we would watch him. You know, we'd be sitting in the quad and we'd be eating our lunch and we'd watch, oh, there he goes again. And some people would come up to him and they would volunteer to be hypnotized. And he goes, okay, and he's just sitting there, we'd watch him from a distance, he's sitting there talking like this, and there's one particular time, these two girls, I think, I think they were seniors, they were just sitting there, and all of a sudden they go, like this, they, they just dropped right down, and I go, oh man, this is good, we all stopped eating, we watched, you know, what he was going to do, and he, he did some antics with them and stuff, and, but he was able to do that. The power of suggestion is huge. And in some churches, they use that technique, the power of suggestion. And they try to ramp people up to act in a particular way that reinforces what they're teaching. And when that happens, if it, it's not biblical to do that. I don't think we should coerce anybody through hypnotism. I think it would be a sin or even the power of suggestion to do that. We're any teacher who does that and be very aware of anybody that you might listen to or watch that that's sometimes what they try to do not all the time but that's sometimes what they try to do i think it's really prevalent and maybe not through all but the televangelists there are many 
who use that particular technique to just convince people that what they're doing is correct. Now, with the slain in the spirit, I believe it can happen as a result through the power of suggestion. I believe it can happen as a result through poor teaching or aberrant teaching or heretical teaching that this is something that can take place in the life of believers. Now, when this being slain in the spirit, uh, I, you've heard me mention this before, the Toronto blessing, TB for short. It's really a disease. People would get into this back in the 80s, late 80s, and, and a woman, you've heard me say this, a, a woman. For, it's, this is for the benefit of those who haven't heard it. A woman got on all fours on the stage going back and forth, roaring like a lion under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and she was not under her own capacity to control herself. And she's saying, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Rawr! And she's on stage doing that. And if all you have to do is look up some videos on YouTube of how crazy some of this gets. And, and I even saw, you guys remember Jim Jones, right? Ghana and how all the people died. I just, I hadn't seen this one before. I just saw a video of a church in Africa where these deacons and the pastor had lined up everybody up on the stage, women were in front, laying down, face down, and guys were behind them. They were on their knees, all crouched down, and they're whipping the people in the church. I mean whipping. They're taking like a belt and whipping them. Who wants to sign it for that? That is not being filled with the Spirit. That is not the baptism of the Spirit. That is not judgment. We're not supposed to, quote, unquote, beat the sheep. God, I believe he's mad at that stuff. Like, how dare we do that type of thing to the people who claim to be his. And that's poor teaching. How do you get somebody to the point where they need to be spanked in church? These were adults being spanked. And there's some stuff that people look at the church from the outside and they go, you guys are crazy. And I agree. Anybody want to pick up a snake, an adder or an asp and rattlesnake and see if you get bit or not? And maybe you'll survive because Mark chapter 16 says that, quote unquote, but it's not, that teaching is not in the oldest, most reliable manuscripts. Or you can drink poison and you can survive the poison that you drink. These are crazy practices. And we don't want to get involved with the crazy practices. So when somebody says, Lord, pour out your spirit, I'm all for that. That's a biblical phrase. What does that mean exactly? It's for two reasons, I believe. When we ask God to pour out your spirit, number one thing is for relationship, that we have relationship with him, that we have fellowship with him. The second thing is for obedience. Pour out your spirit that may be able to do what you ask. Give me that filling, Ephesians chapter 4. Give me that filling of your spirit so that I might have both the relationship with you, walk in close communion with you, and be obedient to your desire. And we can say, we can pray, God, pour out your spirit into me. Fill me up so that I can walk with you. Now, when this happens, there can be the feels. You know what the feels are? If the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, like if you spend time in prayer, you, you just sometimes you can feel like this peace which comes over you. And it's the feels, so to speak. 
And there are churches that encourage people to go after the feels. Like, I, oh, I, did you feel the moving of the Spirit? And yes, you can. But people who decide to go to churches just to get the feeling are always going to be shallow in their faith. They're never going to really seek after a deeper relationship. That's why some of the churches that do that, they get off in the gifts. They get off in what they purport to be biblical doctrine. It's not quite right. That's how the oneness Pentecostals are out there. They're, they're always seeking after the next experience. And when you don't get the experience, you get disappointed. And then you fall away and it's a problem. We are to rely on Christ and his word and the solid doctrine which is there, which is clear, concise, and lucid. It doesn't have to be muddled with. When we want to know about the gifts of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the sanctification that the Spirit provides, all of that is right there. The baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, all of that is spelled out very clearly. It's because somebody gets off in their doctrine and they allow people to get off. Let me relate it to this. The kids that are being raised today in the schools, are they more informed and more educated in the math and the sciences and the languages as we were when we grew up? They're not. They're being taught social norms that are new the transgenderism, and you might get a little bit of the reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you've seen the man in the street interviews where the, the generation, the I generation coming up, they have no idea about history, especially history. And those who don't know or remember history are destined to what? Repeat it. And they don't know it. And I believe that's by design. Well, the same thing happens in the church. The people are not being taught solid or what Paul calls sound doctrine where they're not getting off. And that's why he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, to correct them in what they were supposed to be doing. So the feels are okay and they're even biblical. In Mark chapter 5, verse 29, remember the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and she thought, if I can only reach out to Jesus and touch him, then I'll be healed. This is that case. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. So she had this feeling on the inside. It was physical. It was emotional. If you're suffering and you need to be healed and all of a sudden you just feel the healing taking place. And I've had this happen. And when it took place, you go, wow. This is great. And you get the chills on the inside. Oh, wow. God healed me, you know. And you can get those feels. And then spiritually, it's a spiritual experience for the individual. And those things are all good. But if we're seeking after them constantly, trying to gin them up, come on, you need to sing a lot of jump around, you know, and just run back and forth and get the banners. And, you know, the the scripture talks about uh, his love is a banner over me. uh, And what they'll do, I've seen this one too where uh, the women, they dress in white and they put flowers around their head and they're uh, barefoot and they take banners and they, four or five at a time, they run the banners up and down the aisles and they're running around while the chorus behind them is jumping up and down and singing and it's just, it's craziness is what it is. And we know that our God is a God of order. So this idea of being slain in the spirit... 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, it says, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. What he's saying there is, if you have the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the filling of the spirit, you're never going to be out of control. Never. And the person that tells you, I just let the Holy Spirit take over and just run away. No, it's not how it works. That is not sound doctrine. And also Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. What's the last thing that's in there? Self-control. So the person who would say in one of these charismatic churches, which we are a charismatic church, just not charismaniac, what they would say is, I was out of control, but you could come back and say, but you have the gift of self-control. God never takes over us and says, you will do this. Now, if we're submitted to him and we want him to work, that can happen. But at any moment, you can say, nope, done. I'm not going forward with this. If somebody wants to misconstrue exactly what that means, that that will happen. Even what I'm telling you now, if you talk to somebody in one of the charismatic churches, they'd say, He's not telling you the truth. You've got to come to a deeper understanding of what Scripture has to say. Scripture also tells us, do not go beyond what is taught. If there's something more for us, God will reveal it in the future. Not now. We have the established Word of God. Five different times in Scripture, He says, do not change, add, or delete my words. From Revelation, Ecclesiastes, it's there, a few other places. We're not supposed to do that. So the disciples received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit from Jesus after the resurrection. Now, when the resurrection, it took place, Jesus showed up and he said, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathed on them. And that was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit before his ascension. This is after the resurrection, before his ascension. This is recorded in John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is after the resurrection. He shows up. He indwells them with the Holy Spirit. No gifts are in operation. They are placed into the body of Christ. They are, quote-unquote, at this time, baptized into Jesus. And the baptism comes later, and the filling comes after that. That's the order of things that take place here. So if somebody says, baptism in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues because you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's improper doctrine. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit that provides the gifts and the words that you would speak and the knowledge and all of those things that he provides for us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that you'll be a witness. Am I getting that part across? It's a witness. And so some people say, well, you're just conflating the words. You know, it's just a bunch of words. No, this is important because God laid it out to us like this. So uh, to answer those who are sensationalists, those who are against any of the sign gifts, uh, there are people who say the gifts aren't for today. 
they would take John 20, 21 and 22 that I just read to you and they say, well, there's a different meaning to that. That was a time for back then. That's when it existed. And, you know, it was for that period of time, the time of the apostles, because there's no apostles today. There may be some prophets, but they better be doing stuff that scripture says. If they're not prophets, you can easily tell who they are. I believe there's two prophets that are coming in the future. So the office hasn't ceased, but apostles, certainly it has ceased. But those who say the the gifts have ceased and they use first corinthians chapter 13 it says where there is knowledge knowledge will cease where the gifts are the tongues it'll cease and they say well that's when the perfect comes they say the perfect is scripture you can read it later and i believe they're isogening they're taking that square peg and pushing it into the round hole in first corinthians 13 they're not talking about the canon of scripture but people will teach that and teachers that i love teach that and it's just not there in the text. If it was there in the text, I'd, get, I'd say, hallelujah, the gifts have ceased. But it's not. Now, I have four minutes to go. And I'm still not done. I was hoping to get through this. So I'm, uh, next week, I'm going to talk about who can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think you probably already know that. But I'm also going to give you examples through history where this has happened where people have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit who cried out for it the people who were filled with the Spirit the people who operated in the gifts because the cessationists would say there are no gifts for today and I don't believe that I believe they are for today and they have been taking place since the first century and there's reasons why a lot of churches don't teach it and reasons why a lot of churches do teach it and we're going to get into that next week but let's go ahead and pray and then we'll sing our closing song Uh, father there's just so many concise verses that illuminate this subject for us i would pray that you would help us to remember them write them down go over it so that we might instruct others so that we can maintain purity and avoid error and all for the sake of your body and lord if The feels come at any time. We welcome that. But Lord, help us not to be crazies out there in the church that the world looks at the church and says, no thanks. We ask that what we do would be flavorful for the world. They would look at our love because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they would want that. They'd want to be part of that. So Lord, we'll do it. As you guide us, in Jesus' name, church said, amen. Amen. Please stand.